Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. So Psalm 139 lets us know that God is thinking about us. In fact, it specifically says that God is thinking about us so much so that the number of his thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand on the planet. That's every beach, every ocean floor, every sandbox, every gulf sand trap, every kitty litter box, every piece of sand on the entire planet, is that's equal to the number of thoughts that God has about you personally. It's easy for us to accept that might be the number of thoughts he has about us collectively as like humankind, but the scriptures don't say that. It says the thoughts that he has about each of us individually. God created us. He invites us. God wants to speak to who we are, and he determines our worth. God says that we are worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God says that we are worth him forsaking all the comforts of heaven to come and pursue us. And God says that we are worthy of friendship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. God determines our value. And we cannot afford to have a thought in our head about ourselves that's different from the thoughts God has in his head about us. Our thoughts have to match God's thoughts towards us. Let me illustrate it this way. Anybody want this? Okay, so a lot of takers, especially in the teenager section, um, a lot of people are interested in this because they perceive it to be valuable, right? Now, what if I were to take this and just give it a little rip? Anybody still interested? What if, what if though, what if I were to like just crinkle it up? Now do you want it? Still want it? All right. What if I were to just twist it? I mean, really put it through some stuff. What if I were to just throw it on the carpet and just mash it into the carpet? You still, you want it now? This has been through a lot. I mean, this thing is not what it once was. It has gone through the ringer. It's ripped a lot. I mean, we all still kind of want it, right? The truth is that what I do to this $100 bill does not change its worth. It does not change its value. Its value was set and determined long ago right? And no matter what happens, we're going to give this here to the single mom, but no matter what happens, no matter what happens to you in this life, if you get put through the ringer, if you get stepped on and squished, if you go through some stuff, it does not change your value. Your value was predetermined by your creator before the foundation 
of the world. And God says in his thoughts about you that you are worthy, that you are deserving of love, that he will pursue you to the ends of the earth. He says you're beautiful, you're intelligent, you're valuable to him. And just because other people or other situations don't recognize your worth does not change your value in any way. And that, my friends, is why we cannot afford to have a thought in our head that doesn't match the thought God has in his head towards us. Our main text today is Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. And the Bible theologians kind of titled this section of scripture, The Rich Young Ruler. Let's pick up the story. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a good question. Sounds like a church kid question. Verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Verse 21, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. This story, this person, this rich young ruler is not named in the Bible. He's just referred to as the rich young ruler. He's a regular person. He's an average guy, and he's coming to Jesus to ask a question. And at first glance, that question seems like a great question. What must I do to be saved? But Jesus, in his response in verse 19, he kind of gives him a little little bit of an attitude. So that lets us know that Jesus was not overly impressed with the tone of the man's question. I believe that tone was something along the lines of, what's the bare minimum? What, what do I have to do to be saved, to inherit eternal life? Like, bottom line me, Jesus. Don't highball me. Don't give me a big, bottom line me, Jesus. What do I have to do to be saved? What's the bare minimum I have to do that when I die, I get to go to the good place and I'm going to be with you? What do I have to do to be saved? How far can I go living for myself but still get in in the end? I think that's the tone that we're reading here. And the truth, my friends, is there's a whole generation of Christians living this same way. One foot in the Jesus way of life but one foot in the world's way of life. That are partway committed to God, but partway committed to what's popular or trendy right now. That, that are somewhat interested in Jesus, but somewhat interested in their own comfort or their own opinion or their own way of life. There's a whole generation of people that is trying to do the bare minimum when it comes to their faith and the relationship with God. They know it's true. They obviously don't want to not have eternal life, but they don't want to be known as the Jesus freaks. 
They don't wanna be the overly spiritual person at the office. They don't wanna be the one that everybody thinks is just like so out there when it comes. And so as a result, they, they're just trying to like slide in under the pearly gates, hoping to do the minimum to get in. You see, Jesus has a lot of fans, but very few true and real followers. And I believe this man, this guy, probably is a fan or maybe even a fair weather fan. But friends, it's not just about getting into heaven. I'll be honest, occasionally I think about heaven. And when I think about heaven, I'm like, this place is going to be awesome. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to be so connected to God. It's going to be beautiful beyond, beyond our ability to explain. It's going to be awesome. But I don't think about heaven on a daily basis. Really, even a weekly basis. Sometimes I might go like a whole month without really thinking a ton about heaven specifically. Heaven is not the focus of our walk with God. It's our destination. But there is so much happening in our relationship with God that's about today. About obeying him today. About following him today. About listening for his voice in our life today. And yeah, heaven's going to be great and we're going to get there someday and don't miss it. For real, do not miss it. But there is a grand adventure that is the privilege of following God on earth today and representing him to our community as a collective church family. And guys, God is so much better than we think. Verse 18, this ruler called Jesus good teacher. And I think by doing that somehow, it kind of it rubbed Jesus the wrong way a little bit. Because most people in the Bible, when they approach Jesus, they call him something else. They call him Lord or Master or Messiah or the Christ. But here's this guy and he comes up and he says, good teacher. And when we look at how Jesus responds to him, we get the idea that Jesus wasn't all that thrilled with that title. Now, if one of you came to me and were like, asking me a question, some of my students here on the front row, you just say, hey, good teacher, what do I have to do to get some free candy and concessions and 46? I would be happy with that. I'd be like, thank you. You guys call me good teacher. You do listen when I talk. That's so great, right? I, that's because that's what I aspire to be. I want to be a good teacher. But for Jesus, he wasn't just a good teacher. That's a demotion to him. That's a slap in the face. He, he's God. And so when this guy calls him good teacher, he's lowering him. He's lowering the standard, good teacher. And so Jesus, he doesn't just want that to slip past. There's a lot of people in our generation, even today, that think Jesus is only a good teacher. They don't recognize that he's master. And friends, that is a key truth we have to grab hold of. So this guy, he calls him good teacher, and Jesus calls him on it. He's like, hey, 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 why do you call me good? And good in this definition in, in the original language, it means morally perfect and without flaw. Because if you're calling me good as in morally perfect, BTW, I am God, just so you know. Now let's go back to your question. So Jesus kind of lets the guy have it a little bit. He's not real happy with the tone of this conversation. This young person had no idea who Jesus was. And when you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you really are either. Because who we are is set in context by who Jesus is. Because who we are is given meaning by who Jesus is. 
Because who we are is his. It's like this guitar. Now this guitar is pretty valuable. And I don't know a lot about instruments, but I am told that this has really good pickups. These are things I've memorized about it. That its fretboard has good inlays. And then it's made of a precious wood called Brazilian mahogany. And this is impressive to guitar people. And so if you were to go to the store and purchase this guitar, you would find that it costs $1,989.99. That is what it is worth at the store. If all you know is the guitar. But if you know the guitar's story, you would know that it was way more valuable than that. Now, this is not my guitar. This is clearly a borrowed guitar. But this is, imagine, imagine that this is the guitar that Eddie Van Halen used on the World Invasion Tour in the 80s. This being that very guitar, how much more valuable is it now? Do you think you could score it for two grand? Not a chance. Because whose it is changes the value altogether. Absolutely changes the value. And friends, who we are is God's. And our value is infinitely more than we can imagine because of whom we belong. So verse 22, Jesus makes this young man an offer. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now the idea here isn't that Jesus' followers can't own things. It's not that we all have to quit our jobs and become like these wandering, nomadic, homeless people that, that follow Jesus out into the desert. Jesus was talking to this man about something in particular. He was calling out in this young man's life an idol. He was saying, your money has your heart. Your money is your treasure. He's trying to expose the young man's worship of his idol. And he calls it out and he says, you've got to get rid of your idol so that you can come follow me. And what this young man worshipped, what he took comfort in and security in, what he valued in his life the most was his wealth, was his belongings. If the conversation was between me and Jesus or you and Jesus, I wonder what Jesus would have called out. Like what would he have said is the idol in my life or the idol in your life? Maybe Jesus would say, go and cut ties with those particular friends and then come follow me. Or maybe Jesus would say, go and, and sell that truck that you can't afford and come follow me. Or he might say, go break up with that person and come follow me. Or, or drop that child-centered parenting style and come follow me. Or he might say, go and lessen the time you spend gaming and come follow me. Or Jesus might say, go and, and move out of that living situation until after you're married and come follow me. Or go and lessen your child's commitment to that extracurricular activity and come follow me. He might say, go and cancel the Netflix account and come follow me or go and take a step back from that hobby, that blessing that keeps you out of church about once a month and come follow me. Jesus, if he were to look at us, would probably say something like, go and, and lessen your commitments to these things, these other things that are taking my place in your life and come follow me. And when Jesus calls out our idol, 
is painful. We don't really want to hear it. This young ruler did not want to hear it. But when Jesus calls out the idol and all of a sudden we feel just that, that angst, that frustration. Maybe even as I went through this list that the Holy Spirit put on my heart, if you were like frustrated or kind of offended that I said a certain one, perhaps that's the very idol that Jesus is trying to talk to you about in your life right now. It's a decision, and and only you can make that decision. You see, God doesn't want you or I to worship something that is worthless. When we worship something that is worthless, we become worthless. When we worship something that's not of very much value in our lives, then, then we become of lesser value because we lower ourselves, we are submitted under the value of that which we worship. So when we come into God's presence and we worship the almighty God, we're up here. Our eyes are up here, our hands are up here, our help is from up here. We're focused at this high value place. But when we turn and we bow our knee to the lifted Jeep or the boat or the child vicariously living through our kids and their sports and their lacrosse stick, then all of a sudden we go from here to here. We're lowering ourselves because you're underneath the value of the thing that you worship. You don't worship something that's greater than yourself, or you always worship something that's greater than yourself. You don't worship something that's lesser than yourself. So if you're worshiping here, the value is great. If you're worshiping here, the value is lessened. And so we have to make sure as Christ followers that our eyes are up here and our worship is up here because that we become like what we worship. We are conformed into the image of he who we worship. Every time we spend in God's presence, we are worshiping him. We're becoming more like him. Jeremiah chapter two, verse five, lays this out perfectly. It says, this is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They, be, they worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Worthless idols in the original language literally translates as vain, utterly empty, completely insignificant. So these people left God and they left their worship of God for something else that was lesser than God. They left their worship of this almighty being for something less important. This, friends, would be like the husband who has the smoking hot wife who is good and kind and funny and intelligent And he leaves her to have an affair with a skanky, witchy, mean woman with STDs. That's what just happened. We traded this for this. We traded God for something that was lesser because we are created to worship our creator. The most magnificent God in all the universe. The God who is and was and evermore shall be. The beginning and the end. The God of the universe among whom there's no equal, no rival, no opposite, and no comparison. The God whose great love for us motivated him to forsake it all and come down to earth to get us. 
And when we worship him, we become more like him. We become more like our father. Psalm 115 explains that when we worship, as people did in the ancient days, they worshiped statues of stone, right? They had no eyes, they had no ears, they had no mouth. And Psalm 115 lets us know that when we worship, we become similar, we become like of value to what we're worshiping. And so the psalm says that when we worship something of stone, we become blind, spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and spiritually mute, just like the stones they worship. Now in our generation, we don't worship stones. We don't worship statues. We worship more abstract and confusing things, but similarly, we can become like them if we worship them. So if we worship money, we could become greedy and oppressive and materialistic. If we worship image, we become vain and self-centered. If we worship our children, we become obsessive and overprotective and performance-based and narrow focus. If we worship social media, we become obsessed with being insecure and we become selfish. We become depressed and empty. If we worship ourselves, we become sad and lonely and bored and kind of entitled. We become like those things that we end up worshiping. And if we feel, if we want to feel the value that our Father really has for us, we want to recognize that we're valuable because we're His. We're valuable no matter what we go through. Then we have to lift up our eyes to worship Him. Because when we worship Him, we are formed more and more into His image. So Jesus is not trying to take something away from this young man in Luke 18. He's not trying to take his possessions. But when he says, go and sell your possessions and follow me, he's offering this young man a great adventure. Here's what I mean. We don't even know the first name of this rich young ruler. The Bible doesn't even tell us what his name is. We don't have a clue what he did, only that he was rich and he was trying to do the minimum to get into heaven. We have no idea what else he did with his life. As far as we know, he went home, he spent more money, and he died richly. Just another dead, boring, rich guy. No epic story, no adventure, no name in history. But what Jesus was offering him was the exact same generic offer he made to the disciples. What did he say to Peter, James, John, Philip? What did he say? He said, come follow me. He did not say, hey, Peter, let me, let me tell you this great deal I have. If you'll just come follow me, then you're going to get to do all these awesome things. Like you're going to see people raised from the dead. It's going to be epic, dude. It's way better than fishing. Come follow me. No, he just said, come follow me. We don't know what it is that we're signing up for exactly when we follow Jesus, but we step into this life of of passion and obedience to God. So these men, the disciples that followed Jesus with the generic offer, they saw Jesus command the wind and the waves to be still. They saw him spit in the mud and and, and make a paste and rub it on a blind guy's eyes and, and the guy began to see. They saw bread that was like not enough, become enough to feed 5,000 people. They heard Jesus talk about God like no one else had ever heard. They saw and heard just miraculous things. But more than that, they did them too. These average regular guys who just followed Jesus did 
miracles because of their response to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Like Peter walked on water. He was led by an angel to escape from prison. It's recorded in the Bible that that Peter's shadow would fall on the sick people as he walked by and and that they would be healed. That that John saw a man in the temple with his legs like all twisted and and kind of crippled up and, and and he prayed over him and they just came into alignment and became full of muscle and strength and the guy was able to get up and jump and run and celebrate and praise God. And James just followed Jesus, and he became the leader of the early church, set the course of early Christian doctrine. Philip, we don't talk about him a lot, but he was literally transported from one place to the other, like teleported as part of his adventure with God. That wasn't in the sales pitch Jesus made. It was just, come follow me. And the rich young ruler, well, he grew old with his stuff and he died and I wonder if he ever looked back looked back on the offer that that Jesus made to him I wonder if as an old man he thought back to when he was a young man and heard Jesus say cash in your idol man and come follow me and I wonder if he ever thought I wonder if I could have been one of the 12 I wonder if I could have gone on this grand adventure and, and, and seen people's lives get changed I wonder what his regrets were Because friends, what we don't realize is that by saying yes to our idol, it costs us something. Because when we say yes to our idol, we're saying no to whatever the adventure is that God is offering us. And maybe this morning you recognize that you aren't truly and really following Jesus. Like maybe you prayed a prayer once, But as far as this wildly fulfilling adventure of following Jesus in your everyday life, maybe for you, it doesn't feel like it's happening. I just want to remind you that it is happening all around you, right here within your local church, right here at Fellowship Church. And it's not like us pastors and not you people, but like us together as a church family, we're seeing people be saved every day. We're seeing people be baptized in water, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are people in this room, regular guys, who are praying over people and seeing healings. Guys, God is setting people free from addiction and and oppression and all kinds of stuff every week right here in Fellowship Church. And if you're attending on a weekly basis, but you feel like you're missing out the grand adventure, can I invite you to step up out of your row and step in to serving within your local church and seeing the adventure that God has for you. Because guys, it's not just about attending. It's about being a part of what God is doing all around us. It's not just about making it into heaven. It's about what are we here for now? What can we do now to spread the kingdom of God right here in our local community? Maybe for you this morning, your heart is asking a different question. Maybe your heart is asking a real question like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're like the rich young ruler, but without the sass. And I think the answer to that question isn't about doing at all. The Bible tells us clearly that we have all sins, that every single one of us can 
easily see in our own lives the mistakes we've made and the places that we've fallen short. And the first step to that is just acknowledging that, acknowledging that we're sinners, that we're broken, that we've messed up. And recognizing that the cost of that sin, according to the Bible in Romans 6.23, is death. And that doesn't just mean that someday we grow old and everybody has a memorial service for us. It, it means eternal death, eternal separation from all that is good, from all that is God. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's not just about recognizing Jesus Christ as a good teacher. It's about recognizing him as Lord, as master, and about giving him leadership and lordship, mastership over our lives. And that can, that can take place, the first step of that can take place right here today and, and then it continues for a lifetime. If, according to the scriptures in Romans 10, 8, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, is master, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then each one of us can be saved. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you are like the one asking that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, just lift up your hand so that we can pray for you today as you make this huge choice to give Jesus lordship and leadership in your life. So awesome, you guys. Just lift up your hands. Yes. For the benefit of those raising their hands, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, we admit we've messed up and we need forgiveness. Please forgive us. We make you our Lord, our master, our leader from this day forward. We believe Jesus that you died and rose again to pay the price for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.